0: We're in a series of messages entitled Mission Critical right now. We took a few weeks weeks ago at the mission that God has given us of making disciples. Last week, we began looking at these critical elements to disciple making. Uh, We talked last week about being shaped by the Word, and this week we're going to talk about being humbled by prayer. Uh, now, this, this kind of prayer that I'm talking about this morning is not the, the g- generic, hey, this is church, we're going to talk about prayer kind of prayer, right? Of course this is church, we're going to talk about prayer. Uh, but it's the kind of prayer that is desperate and dependent, recognizing that what God has commissioned us to do, we cannot carry out apart from dependence upon him. Because in and of our own selves, in our own strength, our own abilities, we cannot accomplish the mission that God has given us. A few days ago, I found myself in the position of trying to hang a couple of uh, 120 to 150 pound barn beams in my entryway that somebody had given me. And so I, I did a little bit of work on them, finished them out, and got them ready to hang. And I, uh, the, the first one I... I uh, awkwardly got up to the ceiling and ran some lag screws in and hung it by myself. The second one was about 40 pounds heavier than the first and I knew there was no way I was getting that puppy up there by myself. And so I had to call in reinforcements to come over and we were on ladders balancing it, trying to get it up there in the right position so we could drive some screws into the two by four that I'd put onto the ceiling joist in order to hang that thing in the entryway. Because I realized that my strength was not sufficient to that task. I needed assistance. I needed outside help. And I don't know if you've ever been in that position before where you felt like, man, my expertise, my skills, my abilities, my power are not up to this task. And for every disciple of Jesus Christ, that's the position that God wants us to live in daily. As we depend upon him and come to him and say, God, you've given us this commission. Would you now empower us to carry it out? God, would you do what only you are able to do because I am not sufficient to do it? That's the kind of prayer we're talking about this morning. In Jesus' Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, if you want uh, the full rundown of the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we did it back in 2018. Uh, You can go and find it on our podcast. But I want to come back to one of those prayers that Jesus teaches us to pray and fill it out a little bit from Matthew 13 this morning. As we consider, if we are to be this commissioned people who are making disciples, how is it that we should pray? And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray for his kingdom to come. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to learn what it is to pray like Jesus teaches us to pray. What are we asking for that God would send when we're asking for his kingdom to come? If you turn to Matthew 13, we find this collection of seven parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom, about the kingdom, what it's like, and there's two of those parables that I want us to look at this morning, so we'll pick up reading in verses, um, sorry, in verses, yeah it's there, verses 31, in verse 31, here's the parable that he tells. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed and it's like leaven. So what, what, but before we get to understanding what Jesus says through those two parables, what is the kingdom of God in and of itself? Listen, throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, the kingdom of God is this, it's the righteous and redemptive rule of God in human history. In John chapter 18, Jesus is being interrogated by Pontius Pilate and he asked Jesus if indeed Jesus is the king of the Jews as has been reported. And Jesus' response to Pilate's question in John 18, 36 with these words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. What does Jesus mean by my kingdom is not of this world? There's a few things I think Jesus means by that. First of all, Jesus means that the kingdom of God is not about political entities or advancement. Right, while, the, while Jesus, uh, God's rule and reign, the people of God in the Old Testament were a national entity, the people of God in the New Testament are a spiritual entity, and they are not tied to any one nation, any one political system, any one uh, uh, hu- central human power, but rather they are a human mosaic pieced together from people that m- are made up from every tribe and nation and tongue on the globe. They're not a political ad- entity. Right? God's kingdom is not that. Second of all, Jesus' kingdom is not defined by physical capital or geographic boundaries or areas of history. Right? The kingdom of God, listen, it has outlasted and outgrown the greatest empires of human history. Right? You think about the Roman Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Aztec Empire, the Mongol Empire, the Ottoman Empire, every empire, nation states have risen and fell throughout human history and yet the kingdom of God continues to advance. Right? So it's not necessarily tied to an era of history or geographic boundaries. In addition, the aim of Jesus' kingdom, unlike many of these other empires, is not the domination of people but the deliverance. Jesus isn't aiming to subjugate people but to save them. Right? And so that's the aim. It's a different aim. And so if Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, right? it's not about politics, it's not about subjugation, it's not tied to eras of history or geographic location, then what is it? It is the king, is the righteous and redemptive rule of God in and through the rightful king of all creation, Jesus Christ himself. And through the prophets in the Old Testament, listen, the rule of God's presented as his righteous rule. His righteous rule. Jeremiah speaks of it in Jeremiah 23, 5 when he speaks of a day in which the king shall reign as a king and will deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, that God would raise up a king from the line of David and he would execute righteousness and justice in the land for the people. Ezekiel speaks of it in Ezekiel 37, 24, where God speaks of not only the king executing righteousness, but his citizens executing righteousness as well, when he says, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd, they shall walk in all my rules and be careful to obey my statutes." Right? And so the, the, the reign of God is a righteous reign in which righteousness is done, justice is done. It is executed by God and by His people, but it's also redemptive. And that's the good news, church, because if it was just righteous, you know what? All of us would be doomed because none of us is righteous like God is righteous. We, would all be, we are all under the just judgment of God and yet God is redeeming people in the same way that He does in the Old Testament when He exercises His kingly authority to reach into Egypt and redeem His people in, from bondage and slavery and captivity and bring them into a land of promise. See, it's not just righteous, but it's redemptive. God's aiming to restore and to renew peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a beautiful thing, right? That Jesus is reigning and ruling righteously and redemptively. And Jesus teaches us to pray that his righteous and redemptive rule would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think in Matthew 13, in these parables, Jesus teaches us how that should shape our prayer life. What should we pray for if we're asking for the kingdom to come? The first thing, listen, if we're to be a people who are humbled by prayer, recognizing we cannot carry out the commission God's given apart from dependence and desperation on our knees before him is this, that we should pray for kingdom invasion. We should pray for kingdom invasion. Listen, in verse 33 when Jesus, of Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All right, leaven in the Bible has a mixed, is a mixed bag, has a mixed reputation. In some places, leaven refers to evil or evil forces or evil powers. But here, leaven isn't speaking of evil. Rather, here, leaven is an image of the powerful influence that something that's hidden has as it works its way through the hole right the powerful influence that something very small like a like a like a speck of leaven that's hidden in a, pl- in, a in, in dough and flour how it works its way through the entire lump the leaven goes through the lump and it gains ground by spreading through all the dough until all of its leaven and what happens the dough rises doesn't it yeah and then it's able to be baked and eaten right it's invasive it spreads internally and what Jesus is saying is that's what the kingdom is like and so when we're asking for God's kingdom to come when we're on our knees petitioning God we're asking that his kingdom would invade that it would have that invasive leaven like influence both in our lives and in our culture right because the the kingdom invades personally but the kingdom also invades culturally you see because the rule of God listen church the rule of God in your life as it gains more and more ground it gives rise in the same way that leaven causes dough to rise it gives rise to new ways of thinking it gives rise to new ways of valuing it gives rise to new priorities it gives rise to new affections and loves it gives new rise to new ways of living it causes those things to rise in us because listen, oftentimes, and maybe this has been your experience as well, but oftentimes, if you become a Christian on January 3rd, on January 4th, there's not a ton of discernible difference in your life. Right? You know that you've been forgiven, and that you're, you're a recipient of God's grace. But there's still a whole lot of bags the Holy Spirit has left to unpack in your life as He begins to sanctify you. Right? And so, from January 3rd to January 4th, there's not a this ton of discernible difference, but listen... There should be discernible difference as the leaven spreads in your life and invades more and more of you three years later, five years later, eight years later, twelve years later. That it's giving rise to these new ways of thinking and loving and living in your life. New values, things that you used to hate that you now love, things that you used to love you now despise. This kind of influence as it rises in your life and it invades you personally. And Jesus says when you're praying for the kingdom of God to come, that's one of the things you're asking God for because that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like that leaven that spreads in your life. See if I can illustrate it to you this way, right? Some of you, some, some of us in the room, maybe have just spent a, a season, right? From like November to December in the woods, right? Spraying ourselves with deer urine, um, you know, co- concealing all all the scents of of our homes. Right, all the essential oils your wives have been diffusing all over the place. Right, right. They're diffusing that because you spray yourself with deer urine, by the way. And so you're like, you just spent your time in the woods, right, hunting these large animals that you can shoot, take to the processor, and hang on your wall. Craig Cooper, I don't I don't know that you got any more room, brother, but like you got all these heads right all over the wall. Okay. but, But if you've ever spent any time in the woods wandering from maybe pasture to pasture, field to field, forest to forest, one of the things that you're going to come in contact with are fence lines. Right? You're going to come in contact with these fence lines that set their property boundaries. And oftentimes along these fence lines, whether it be trees along these fence lines or the fence posts along these fence lines or actually the barbed wire along these fence lines, you'll see these signs hanging that say, posted, no trespassing. And what that means is this is that you may have been given access and permission to hunt on this land but you have not been given access and permission to hunt on this land. You can come onto this piece of property but you cannot come onto this piece of property because somebody has placed a boundary line and said you can come this far but no further. And listen, church, whenever you're praying for the kingdom of God to come as Jesus teaches us to, and you're praying for kingdom advancement personally in your own life, here's what you're asking for. God, would you tear down every fence line and every posted sign in my life? And would you remove me from the throne so that I'm no longer the one who is calling the shots in my life, but now I'm responsive and submissive to you because there's no longer any place, any area, any arena, any aspect of my life that is posted or off limits to you. God, would you make that a reality in my life? Would you invade more and more and more and more? Would you tear down all those boundary lines that I have set up in my relationship to you? That's what you're asking for when you pray your kingdom come. God, would you invade me personally? Now listen, some of you are like, hold up, right? (laughs) Hold up, time out for a moment. Let me think about this, right? Because do you mean to say that praying for God's kingdom to come would be asking God to burst through all the things that I've put in place to keep myself safe and to keep myself in control? That's exactly what I'm saying. And some of us are terrified by that prospect because we don't know what the end result of that's going to be. And if that's you this morning, here's what I want you to consider. That whenever God, desi- the, the, the way God desires to invade your life is to bless you and for your benefit and for your good. It is not for your detriment. That ultimately, God wants to invade more and more of your life so that you begin to operate more and more by His design, which would lead you into a place of flourishing and fulfillment. Right? That's how He's ordered things. Let me, can, let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. Listen, I have never... I've never sat down with a person who says, listen, when I look back on my past, I regret all the righteous, obedient things that I've done in my life. But when I I have sat down with a number of people who look back on their past and say, I have deep regret over all the unrighteous and disobedient things that I've done in my life. That's why Paul says it this way in, in Romans chapter six, in verse 21, he says, but what? fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death he said there was a point in which you were giving your life over to things that were destroying you they were causing decay and god is saying when you pray for his kingdom to come your his kingdom become and him crossing these fence lines in your life you're asking him to take up more and more ground so that it wouldn't be decay but there'd be flourishing where things were dying, they would now be rising to life. That's what he's saying you should pray for, that his kingdom would invade more and more. Because I've never sat down with someone and spoken to someone and said, listen, I, I regret having never laid my eyes on certain images. Because listen, church, there's some things you just can't unsee. I never sat down with someone who says, listen, I have deep regret over the generosity that, I, that God gave me the grace to exhibit toward mercy and ministry and mission that I gave freely. I regret that. But I have sat down with people and say, I regret significantly all the foolish, trivial purchases that I've made that have ended me in this place of debt where I now I can't give generously to anything or to anyone. Listen, nobody sits down and say, I, I, I regret having done these righteous things. They sit down and say, I regret having lived in unrighteousness. And the rule of God in your life as it invades more and more territory is wanting to move you toward flourishing and freedom and fulfillment. If you could just see that this morning, then you would say, God, would you tear down every fence line in my life? Would you uncap my yes to you so that I no longer say, God, this far and No further. So, pray for kingdom invasion personally, but also pray that that God's kingdom would invade culturally. It's part of what it means to pray for his kingdom to come, because there's a cultural invasiveness to the kingdom of God as well. Because as the rule of God invades a culture, listen, or as it invades a culture by invading one person at a time, and as it gains more and more ground in the lives of its citizens, those who are bending their knee and submitting their will to God, and God's crossing all those fence lines. As that takes place, a new culture begins to be shaped because the people of God, the citizens of his kingdom, are beginning to see life through a different lens and they're responding to those things that they see differently. That's what culture is. Culture isn't necessarily what you see, but it's how you see. It's how you see the world around you. And as that culture is formed in you, you begin to see everything, people around you differently. You begin to see things around you differently. You begin to see possessions and promotions and positions, houses and cars and land, action. You begin to see everything differently through a new lens. And it begins to shape a culture. Begins to shape a culture. Let me give an illustration of this from the Bible. In Acts chapter 19, you read about a riot that breaks out in the city of Ephesus. You know why a riot's broken out in the city of Ephesus? Because Paul has come there, and Paul has begun to preach the gospel. And Paul, as Paul preaches the gospel, there are men and women from all kinds of backgrounds and idolatry that worship these pagan gods. They're coming to faith in Jesus, and, the, and, and Paul and the apostles and the disciples and the, the missionaries are there and they're saying listen that Jesus is the one and only God there is no other beside him there is no other above him there's no one who rivals him or competes with him and as they preach this exclusivity of Jesus and people are coming to faith in him the peoples of Ephesus are beginning to turn away from the false gods now listen That was bad for business for a certain union of idol makers in the city. And so as these idol makers, the people who were taking wood and metal and they were melting it down and carving it down and shaping into these little statues for people to worship in the temples or in their homes, it became bad for business and they stopped being able to make a profit off the cultural idolatry of the people. And so a riot breaks out and they all want want Paul to come. All these idol makers are riling up the city. They want Paul to come out so they can kill him and Paul's like let me at him so I can go preach some more (laughs) because the gospel and the rule of God as it invaded more and more lives personally it began to shape a new culture in the city of Ephesus that was undercutting the cultural idolatry of Paul's day what would happen Church, if we prayed for God's kingdom invasion in the lives in our lives as a church, in the lives of citizens of God's kingdom in other churches that are meeting in other buildings this very morning, that if we ask God for His kingdom to come and it invaded more and more lives to where it began to shape the way that we saw, listen, one of the things I think that would happen is that you might see some of these storage units that just continue to pop up everywhere because I've got to put everything I've ever owned, I've got to hang on to it. I can't sell it, can't give it. I've got to hold on to it. What if some of those started closing because of the generosity of God's people where they saw those things as just open-handed, freely giving them away, things I hadn't seen in five years, right? that are in the back of a storage unit somewhere that I'm giving away. Now, if you own a storage unit facility, I'm sorry, but I, I think that's a part of what that cultural idolatry being in a place in a place where like in Luke's gospel when Jesus tells the parable of the man who just built bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger barns to store all of his goods and grain rather than giving those things away distributing the excess see the rule of God invades not only personally but begins to shape New way of living in a place. So, when we're asking for his kingdom to come, we're asking for it to invade personally, but we're also asking for it to invade culturally. But that's not all that these two parables teach us about the kingdom of God as we ask for it to come. Second of all, these two parables teach us us to pray for God's kingdom expansion. For God's kingdom expansion. Look at the other parable that Jesus tells there in that text. In verses thirty one and thirty two he says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. See, the kingdom is not only gaining ground inwardly and invading the hearts of citizens, but it's also gaining ground outwardly and globally as it expands to the corners of the earth. See, what Jesus is speaking of here, as he talks about a mustard seed, he said, listen, it is a ti- when you look at a mustard seed, it's like a tiny speck of dirt in your hand, right? Almost indistinguishable from a, a piece of dust that's floating around in the air. But he says when it goes into the ground and it begins to spring up, it grows at a rapid pace. And he says it outpaces all the other garden plants, the squash and the zucchini and the tomatoes, right? And the cucumbers and the watermelon. Everything that's growing there along the ground and rising up on stakes, the mustard plant grows in their day and time in that place, grew to about 12 feet tall, towering over all the other garden plants that might have been cultivated in their day. And what Jesus is saying is it's the kingdom, it starts small. Kingdom work starts small, but it grows exponentially and it expands rapidly. Right, and he says all the birds of the air, they come in and they find nest in its branches. And the birds of the air, listen, this is beautiful. The birds of the air represent the nations of the earth. In Ezekiel, we find this similar imagery In Ezekiel 17, 22-23, it says, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. Now I know it's different. It's mustard in Matthew and it's cedar in Ezekiel. But the point is the same. He says, I will take a cutting off of the top of the cedar tree and I will root it down into the soil so that it grows and it grows, and it grows, and the birds of the air, every kind, shape, size, and color will come and find shade and shelter under its branches. That all the people, that it represents all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth will come and find a home, regardless of what, whether they live under a, in a dictatorship or a democracy or a constitutional republic, or a monarchy. Wherever they, whatever political system they live under, they would find shelter under the branches of God's kingdom as it expands to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus is talking about, that the kingdom of God is expansive, and He teaches us to pray for its expansion when we says, He says pray that His kingdom would come. That not only would it invade more territory in our lives, but it would invade more territory in the globe. And across the earth. Now listen, not only did Jesus say this, but listen, I want, you, I want you to see something real quick this morning. Church history shows it. It shows it. I might get a little excited. Is that okay? <laughs> As if I'm not already. Listen, the kingdom of God breaking into human history, it starts with the baby Jesus being born. Born right, in a manger who grows in wisdom and stature and knowledge before God and man. And he would end up teaching with authority and ministering with mercy and he would live a sinless life, be betrayed by one who walked with him, handed over to the Romans and crucified. He would spend three days in a tomb as a seed be going into the ground from which he would be raised by God Himself. And before he ascended to heaven, he would commission his followers to go to the ends of the earth with the good news that God is coming to save sinners and set the whole creation right and heal it all. And then he said he would return one day as he is seen leaving. So that one day one day we would not only say but we would see the fulfillment of revelation 11:15 that says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our lord and his christ and he shall reign forever and ever but listen church until then until that day comes the story continues to go on because jesus selects a collection of men without pedigree or credentials they didn't have like initials behind their names okay they were common fishermen, tax collectors, common blue-collar workers who were unimpressive, insignificant, inconsequential, and ignorable in their society, who, compelled by the good news of Jesus and empowered with the promised Holy Spirit, would proceed to turn the world upside down. In fact, that's what it said about them in Acts chapter 17. They were turning the world upside down. Imagine with me for a moment what it would have been like in Acts chapter 13 if you'd have been in the room when the believers were worshiping together and the Holy Spirit tapped them on the shoulder and said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for me, for me, for my mission. Do you think they would have ever in their wildest dreams, imagined the kind of ripple effects that would have had throughout human history, that one act of obedience to the Holy Spirit. The kind of impact it would have had in places like Rome, and in Philippi and in Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica on the islands of Cyprus and Crete. Do you think they would have ever imagined the kind of impact that act of obedience would have had on generation after generation in places like South Africa to northern Russia, from the Midwestern states of the U.S. to the Middle East? That, that act of obedience. Do you think Thomas and Philip could have imagined the kind of the kind of ripple effects, the kind of tidal wave of taking the gospel to India and to Ethiopia as they planted churches in places like Jerusalem and Antioch and Rome and Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica on Crete and Egypt, Africa, India. And listen, the book of Acts, it comes to an end in Acts chapter 28 with Paul in prison, in chains, saying, I want to go to Spain because the gospel has not yet been preached there as they begin to take it to the ends of the earth as witnesses of Jesus' perfect sinless life and resurrection from the grave as He was our substitute. And the last 2,000 years of human history tells the story of branches that sprung up from that seed that went into the ground. In fact, the reason we are here this morning is because the seed went into the ground, but it didn't stay there. Is anybody else excited? And when Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, church. He's saying pray for God's kingdom expansion. That the gospel would go to places where Jesus' name has not yet been heard. Do we pray like that? Think about your prayer life. See, if, if we're only praying about things that we can accomplish based, with our own strength, with our own abilities, God, I, I think that we've relatively got this handled, but we're going to consult you just in case. If we're only praying those kinds of prayers, we will never be humbled by prayer. Never. But if we're asking God to cross fence lines in our lives and in the lives of those that we're investing our life in as we're seeking to make disciples, God, would you cross all the fence lines in their life as well as mine? And with the hardness of the human heart at times, we're asking God to do what only God can do in someone's heart. And we're asking God to do what only God can do in the, on the, across the globe in the nations of the earth. And when you begin to see God answer those kinds of prayers, then you are humble because you know you can't take credit for any of that work. It's all Him. So listen, church. If we're going to be a church that is serious about the commission that God has given us, we must be a people of prayer who are humbled by it day after day after day after day. we're praying for invasion. We're praying for expansion. All right, so I want to give you a tool this morning as we close. Right, it's a resource for you, it's a little prayer guide. All right, because it, one of the what what I, what I want to encourage you to do as you begin to pray is that you would pray in circles. You're like pray that come back to the same place over and over. again? No, pray in these concentric circles. Start in the center and they expand out. I don't know how well you can read the text on the screen this morning, but there are copies of this at the back kiosk for you on your way out so you can slide in your Bible and use it as a prayer guide, right? That you're praying for invasion and expansion. And every Sunday, being the Lord's Day, starting off on the, the week on Sunday, that you're beginning to pray as you come to service that morning, as you go away from service that afternoon, as you spend time with family around the table that evening, that you're praying for yourself, that God would invade more and more and more of your life, that maybe the message and whoever's delivering it that morning, maybe through the life group as you're gonna go and interact the rest of the week, maybe through conversations and discussions, that God would invade. He would cross fence lines in your life that maybe you didn't even know were there, right? There's a fence there deep in the woods you didn't even know was existent, but that He would cross over that boundary Sunday. You begin to ask and petition God to invade. And then on Monday... You're praying for friends and family. Those who are closest to you. Asking God to invade their lives more and more. That he would bring them to a place of flourishing and fullness and fulfillment. And you're probably going to have specific things because you know their circumstances that you're going to be asking God for. Perhaps specific things, hard, perhaps specific territory that's been unclaimed in their life that you can see. You're asking God to claim that. God, would you move and cross that fence line, tear down that post-it sign in my son's life, in my daughter's life, right? in my spouse's life, in my father's life, in my mother's life, in my neighbor's life. God, would invade more and more of our friends and family. And then on Tuesdays, maybe as you continue to expand out, that you would pray for those in your life group. That God would continue to invade more and more territory there. That your life group would be a place where God rules and reigns. Not just a social gathering of people who enjoy spending time together. But of people who are submitting their lives and coming under his rule and reign. Right? And, and, be, and that little group of people, right? What's happening there is there's a culture that's being formed. Because they're all beginning to see things differently now. And value and prioritize things differently in their lives. So something's changing, not just individually, but corporately among us as you're praying for that group of people. And then on Wednesdays, praying for your church and for your community and for other churches across our community. Praying that our church will be a place in which God rules and reigns. I, I find it very interesting, listen, this, when Jesus says, pray that the kingdom will come, he doesn't say pray that your kingdom will come, he says pray that his kingdom will come, right? So listen, I want you to know, I want to say right now, this, this church that God is birthed is not my kingdom. It's not. Right? It's an outpost. It's an, out, it's, a, it's an embassy of his kingdom. And you know what? He's the only one who's able to give growth. Do you know that? I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, listen, All of you, he says, you're arguing about who who you're gonna follow. Am I gonna follow Apollos, right? I follow Cephas, I follow Paul. They're all arguing about which one's the best communicator, which one's the best pastor, which one's the best shepherd, which one's the best administrator organizer. Who are you gonna follow? And Paul says, listen, I want you to know something. He says, Apollos, Cephas, myself, you know what we are? We are not celebrities, we are servants. We are servants of the church, Right? And so what we do is we plant. And what we do is we water. But you know what he says? He says, neither Cephas nor Apollos nor I, none of us gives growth. We plant and water, only God gives the growth. And so listen, as a church, as a church, I want to be very clear this morning. Listen, Redeemer This little outpost, this little embassy of God's kingdom expansion in this community is not going to grow on the back of the person who fills this pulpit every week. Nor is it going to grow on the backs of the people who sit in these chairs every week. You know what's going to grow? How it's going to grow? It's going to grow on the backs of a praying people who are petitioning God in dependence and desperation. God, would you give what only you can give? Would you give growth? Would you invade and expand? And you're praying that for your church. And you're praying that for other churches in the community. And then on Thursdays, You're praying for latitude as they continue their mission of raising up the next generation of kingdom-minded leaders for the global church in every nation. So you're praying for Keith, you're praying for his board, you're praying for leadership, you're praying for the trainings, you're praying for the curriculum that's being filmed You're praying for God's provision to that ministry. Then on Friday, you're praying for John Graham and the churches that he's planting in India. You're praying for kingdom expansion. You're praying for those pastors that he's equipping. You're praying for those people who are coming to faith in these rural, at times what appear to be squatter huts where the gospel has never gone before where Jesus' name has never been known before. You're praying for expansion into India. You're praying for God's provision for John and his team. For pastors to be trained and plant, churches to be planted and people to be saved. And on Saturdays, you're praying for Moldova. And Athletes in Action and Andre and Gina and their team as they seek to continue to disciple. Decide, see, the kingdom invading the lives of athletes and coaches and officials to then be sent into professional leagues across the European continent as sports missionaries with the gospel of Jesus on their lips and soccer balls on their feet. And you start all over again on Sunday, praying for yourself and on Monday for friends and family and on Tuesday for your life group and on Wednesday for your church and community on Thursday for latitude and on Friday for India, and on Saturday for Moldova. Listen, it is okay to petition God for the needs in your life, but how much of your prayer life revolves around your physical needs, and how much of it revolves around God's kingdom, invasion, and expansion? Take these prayer guides, put them in your Bible, put them on your dinner table, and whenever you gather with your family in the evenings to pray, instead of just saying, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen, dig in, right? What if you took a moment and each day you were praying for invasion and expansion as you pray in these concentric circles? And then a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, What invasion might you have seen in your own life, in the lives of your friends, in the life of your life group, in the life of your church? What expansion might you see in this community and across the globe? Without this kind of prayer, we will never be humbled. And we will never see the commission that God has given us fulfilled. Within or outside of our walls. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, today, I'm humbled to think about the fact that you've called and commissioned the people to do what they cannot do apart from you. God, we could gather all the expertise and all the skill and all the ingenuity and all the know-how and all the creativity and all the slick graphics and all all of the marketing campaigns and we we could move out into this community. But God, apart from You giving growth, all of that, will fall on deaf ears and none of that will have lasting fruit that it will bear. So God, would you make us into a people this morning that are dependent and desperate. A people who are serious about your commission of making disciples and asking that your kingdom would come. That your rule and reign would invade more of our lives and would shape more of our culture and expand to more territory across the globe. And that we would pray about that personally in our own lives. We pray about it in our life groups. We pray about it as a church. That it be ever on our lips and ever in our lives because it's ever in our hearts. God, would you, would you emboss it there and make us into a people of prayer. Father, as, as, as those who are members here this morning, as they come to renew their commitments, to what you're doing in the life of this church I pray God that they would be reminded that it is not by might that it is not by power but it is by your spirit that they would be able to fulfill the commandments they lay on the altar this morning the covenant that they renew be a people shaped by your word humbled by prayer who are engaging the mission of making disciples we pray it in Jesus name